Welcome to Dementia Resilience with Jill Lorenz, a candid conversation as we learn about types of dementias, such as Alzheimer's, Parkinson's, frontal temporal, and Lewy body, and the effects on the people we love. Jill's years of dedication and experience help you adapt, overcome obstacles, and find positive outcomes. It's time for Dementia Resilience with Jill Lorenz. Well, hello, listeners. I hope everybody's having a good day. I am uh, really pleased today because I have a guest in studio with me, and we're going to be talking about one of my favorite subjects, which is music and music therapy and how it benefits all the way to our souls, I believe, but specifically with people with various neurological illnesses and uh, cognitive awareness. I have asked Sarah Thompson to join us today, and Sarah is a board-certified music therapist who's worked with people with neurologic differences for over 17 years. She's a book contributor, a speaker, and a researcher who loves discussing how neuroscience-based music interventions can change people's lives, and we're all about that. Sarah is a CEO of Rehabilitation Rhythms, a Denver-based nonprofit organization. Sarah, thanks for being here today. Thank you so much for having me. This is great because music is a subject I love. I often talk with my clients and my listeners about the benefits of music, mm-hmm. but where I do it as a thought process of it's engaging and it touches our hearts and sometimes can guide us to memory lane, you're looking at it from a clinical standpoint. Yes. So let's talk about what rehabilitative rhythms is and what your study is all about. Sure. So I started rehabilitative rhythms 16 years ago now. I can't believe it's been that long, but it has been. Um, And it was was just me initially, but we've really grown uh, primarily through word of mouth. And we see individuals with neurologic differences as well as individuals with developmental differences. And so we do both of those. For me personally as a clinician, I've primarily focused more on individuals with neurologic differences. And our whole practice is made up of master's level board certified music therapists with uh, additional training. And we're very much attuned to the quality of the service that we're doing and, and really trying to get maximum benefit. And really what music therapy is, is just using music to improve people's lives. That's what we're all about. Okay. So you were talking about people with you know, neurologic differences, but also developmental. Mm -hmm. What does that mean? Spell that out for my listeners. Sure. So we tend to use the phrases neurologic difference uh, rather than identifying people solely by a diagnosis, right? So a lot of people identify as I'm a person or a woman who happens to also be living with dementia or MS. And so we want to honor and respect how people want to identify. So uh, the folks that we work with tend to have diagnoses such as uh, being a stroke survivor or a brain injury survivor, living with Parkinson's disease or dementia, uh, living with autism, uh, Down syndrome, different genetic disorders. It's just a wide range of things. But believe it or not, 
we sort of specialize in that. It seems it is still such a wide range, but that is a bit of a specialty because some music therapists do everything under the sun, you know, and we really tried to focus in so that we can, again, give that better quality service and really be experts at what we do. Okay, so let's drill down just a little bit right yep. now. So are you utilizing that person's genre of music? Are you utilizing, per se, classical or rock music or jazz music? How do you determine what type of music is going to reach the reach most place right yeah well so we typically start with an assessment like other traditional therapies do and we're really looking at the response to music as well as where are they at overall you know what is the overall goal of bringing us in where you know are we trying to keep mentally sharp you know are we at that those really early i'm seeing some challenges with memory, but it's more of like a, a mild cognitive impairment, or are we fur, further down the road where we're, you know, really have more advanced stages and, and more difficult struggles, not able to speak much anymore, you know, not getting out of bed more. And so we start with an assessment. Um, and it, it's not, it's about what kind of music that they like, but it's also the different elements of music. Different elements of music bring out and uh, make different things possible. We're all about making things possible for people. So uh, while most people think of music as one thing, the music therapy interventions and the music neuroscience really looks at music as a whole range of things. So music is comprised of rhythm, for example, harmony, melody, lyrics, all of those things, I mean, I could go on and on, right? But um, all of those things are processed differently in our brain. And so you often hear in sort of traditional educational programs that music is a right hemisphere thing, and that's not actually very accurate. Melody is, is fairly right hemisphere based, but rhythm is processed in areas of our brain that do motor movement. And so for doing anything with movement, rhythm's gonna be a part of it. Um, you know, the frontal lobe does different things like um, anticipation. Um, so knowing if a song sounds finished or not, or what we expect music to do, things mm -hmm. like that. So if you're using a song and you're changing the lyrics, you know, you're gonna really get that frontal lobe activated because the brain's like, wait a minute, I'm used to hearing it this way and that's not what I expected. Um, so we really bring in more of a neuroscience approach, but it shouldn't feel like a you know rigid, um, sterile <laughs> science, uh, you know, when you're in a music therapy session. It's very person-centered. So we're, we're looking at the person, where they're at, how they're responding to different elements of music, and then how we can use those to then make things better for them. You know, are we gonna bring out speech for someone who's in advanced stages of dementia? Are we gonna, you know, um, be using the, you know, memory element, the familiarity? They're really familiar with the song, and so they remember that above everything else, and are we gonna be using that? So we really pick and choose depending on what, where the person's at. Okay. You know, and I think from just a uh, hands-on standpoint, I want to throw a thought out to you, okay? Yes. So, as an example, someone, if you were to say, what's your favorite kind of music? Mm -hmm. And they say country or mm -hmm. they say whatever it is. I know for myself, 
when I just turn on music in the morning, mm-hmm. and um, maybe I'm asking Alexa or Google to send me some music, whatever it is, or I turn on uh, a station that is provided through cable, and all of a sudden Motown starts playing. I'm dancing around the house. I'm I'm more um, animated than I would ordinarily be. So I I kind of get what you were saying, but on a more simple level that um, even this morning I heard Touch Me in the Morning by Diana Ross, and I'm singing at the top of my lungs, (laughs) right? You know, it's just kind of funny. But you never know what's going to get someone's energy up or... Or get them to communicate what's making them sad, right? Um, through a sad song, or oh, or yeah. something that um, you know uh, is maybe faith based, and you get yep. the and all of a sudden their heart just pours out with maybe a different emotion. Yep. Are those the kinds of things that you're looking at? Yes, absolutely. Um, so to speak to what you were just saying about different genres. Um, Different types of music, not necessarily genres, but even within the music that you like, different types of music or different songs are going to work better for different things, right? So if you wanted to clean the house and you got to move, 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 or if you were trying to exercise, you probably aren't going to put a ballad on, right? You know? <laughs> right. Um, and so it's that rhythm component, right? And Or if you're trying to... You know, we're going to have some COVID survivors, unfortunately. If you're trying to really work on breath support and things like that, you're going to be looking at songs with longer phrases. So it's taking those musical elements, right, and seeing how they play out within different songs. Now, as a music therapist, we're trained musicians. We play and sing and, you know, we play multiple instruments and things. So we typically do things live because it allows us to break things down into you know, really the element that we're looking at, right? Wow. So we That's do- awesome. Yeah, we don't just walk in and press play. Now, for families, the tricky thing can be a lot of them are not musicians. And so they're, you know, they're looking at us like, I can't sing like that. <laughs> or, I, can't, <laughs> right. I can't play the piano or I can't play the guitar or whatever. Um, and so, you know, sometimes we make custom recordings on an iPad or things like that for specific things. Um we write songs for clients a lot if we need to, depending on the situation, because we're also trained in composition. Um, but then, you know, we know that f- people primarily have recorded music at their hands. So then trying to guide them about which things are going to work better. And it's kind of interesting because sometimes you come across um, situations where family dynamics come out in talking about musical preference because the spouse will say, oh, they like this, this, and this, and then we use that, doesn't work. We don't see a response. But then when we're, we use some other songs, they're right with us, and we see a completely different response. And so, it, you know, sometimes there's differences depending on, you know, again, the family dynamics or can also be that, you know, certain music – uh, is more preferred than others. We may be familiar with a lot of music, but it may not be what really gets us going, you know. And uh, so the spouse may be like, well, he's heard that song a lot. I think he likes it, you know. Um, or certain ages, you know, like as as our brain uh, is affected by dementia, musical memory is one of the last areas. There's brain scans, studies with brain st- scans out there showing that musical memory is one of the last areas to stick around. And so, um, you know, 
it's really important to identify those things that are still going to be powerful as someone's moving through a disease stage process. So um, we love families, love working with them, but sometimes it still does take a little experimentation to figure out, you know, where we're going to be headed. I... You're making my heart full. This is amazing (laughs) because I love music. And with my mom, up until the day she died, I could sing Anne Murray songs to her. Mm -hmm. And she would sing along. She had not spoken barely 10 sentences in four years. But literally, every time we would put music on, she would hum correctly to the music, sometimes try to sing. But on the day she died, she was singing with me with some Anne Murray music, which was amazing. I'm a big fan of Naomi File Uh and her music-based therapy and Mm -hmm. and the things she did with Gladys is renowned. People Mm -hmm. on YouTube, if you want to go on YouTube and put in uh, Naomi and Gladys, you can watch this beautiful video of a woman who had no one to visit her in a care community for many, many years, and she hadn't spoken, and she started pounding using uh, muscle memory and hand movements to express uh, her beat and her rhythm. Mm -hmm. Um, I find that fascinating, and I'm very much a novice at this, but with my support group Mm -hmm. at a memory unit community, Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. twice I tried Gladys's thought process, but we used headphones, such as we're wearing in the studio today, had the families put about eight to ten songs Mm -hmm. on uh, some device where they could record it play it back. And then we let them sit with those on for about 20 minutes. And then we would take them off and they would ask some questions. And for the most part, we were successful. Now, this wasn't clinical. It wasn't anything except for trying to maybe open a door if we could do it. Um, But we had people look at their loved ones and say, I love you, Victoria, Mm -hmm. or, you know, whatever it was. And it's just amazing. So you're doing this on steroids. (laughs) Yeah. Well, I think, no, I, I mean, everything you talked about, you know, so going back to your mom, um, you know, there was a study that came out just in the last month that shows that hearing is still intact in the last few hours of life, you know. Right. And so the the bottom line here, when you really start digging into this music and neuroscience stuff, is that music sticks around when so many other things are lost, you know. Music is still there. And so what we're really doing is is using our skills and our training and the science of it to make things happen in people's lives. So, okay, music's still around, but what are we going to do with it, you know? Right. So that makes so much sense about your mom. And I did three years of um, primarily hospice work and would see that, you know, people were still responding to me when they were actively dying. They were in training to their breathing was in training to the rhythm or I, you know, we were facilitating that to to bring some calm or do some different things. yeah, so we're we're doing specific techniques to to achieve specific outcomes, and you will see that people that the research shows, and you've already seen it live, and I see we see it all the time too, uh, that after some of these things, people have uh, improved cognition for a window of time. Mm-hmm. Right. So it really works well if you can get families there during and a little after so that they can take advantage of we've got improved arousal in their brain now their brain's a little more awake so (laughs) this is a great time to interact because sometimes families are at a loss of you know 
what to do when they go visit someone if they're not interacting as much. But music really opens up that window. And, you know, it is so, yeah, you're you're talking about exactly some of the things that we do. You know, the the goal with the clinical work is just to, you know, we know the science behind it and we're trying to um, we're able to get these results in a re reproducible fashion because we understand the science behind it and when something goes wrong too you know if something you know if if we're using headphones and somebody's you know ripping them off <laughs> we can probably help problem solve there's a reason behind that you know is it the hearing aids is it the type of music that the the family thought they liked and they really don't or there's all kinds of reasons so we've talked we we now touched on this but I'm really just wanting to truly understand from the clinical standpoint, since I have you here and you can answer this, why it is so beneficial, especially for my listeners yep. that are um, living with Alzheimer's, Lewy body, vascular, FTD, ALS, whatever it is, right? right. Parkinson's disease. Right. Um, you know, how... How do they process that music? How does the, and I guess that could be an open question for anyone. Right. But, but it's, it's just staggering to me that it is beneficial for these folks. Mm -hmm. But how do they actually process that music? Mm -hmm. Is that a big piece of your understanding and your comprehension yeah. with this program? Well, I think the, the music, the reason I bring up the, the neuroscience, music neuroscience research is because it is really helpful in our understanding because there are times when it's overwhelming to people to have the whole CD or the whole recording on. So for example, if someone really liked classical music, I've, I've certainly seen where it's too much. You know, I've, I've seen it time and time again where they like a style of music that's fairly complex, but as their disease progress progresses, rather, uh, it becomes a little bit too much to have all the more complex pieces can be overwhelming sometimes, you know. Okay, so, so let's let's uh, uh, expand on that. So like, say, a Beethoven. Right. Or a Bach mm -hmm. who plays the bing, boom, boom right. things, as opposed to maybe a Rachmaninoff with these swirling, beautiful, romantic right. sounds. But still, if it's too much... It's too much. Right. And are they are they hearing everything? Are they hearing the violins and the tubas and the piano and right. the drums? And is that what you mean when it's too much? Right. There's just too many components going on. Right. It's almost like uh, it's almost like when I tell families try not to have everybody talking at the same time at a table. Yep. And let the person just process. Don't give them sixty seconds to hear what you're saying and and if they right. lose a thought oh well right. uh but don't talk all the same same theory yeah similar very similar and, and it comes back again to the beginning where i was talking about the different elements of music so what we might show families is you know here's how to simplify this here's how to how to break this down that you know uh here's how to if we're trying to get someone to get words out and we want to use a familiar song, maybe the recording's too much. Maybe we just need to hold their hand and tap and sing it live. I don't care if you think your voice sounds terrible. That's not what it's about. It's totally about activating that, um, the fact that it's an overlearned song for them, the familiarity, because we're going to get that automatic speech out. Every time we leave the last word of the line off, 
they're going to get that word out and that rhythm helps them cue, right? right? So it's, you know, how can we simplify and kind of pull back and and customize, you know, to what they need? The other thing that I sometimes see um, people do and, and they do it out of the goodness of their hearts because they think it's going to help is having music on all the time. You know, and that can be very overwhelming in, in, you know, multiple settings, brain injury, you know, dementia, things like that. You know, anything that's on all the time, you're just going to tune it out or it becomes too much. Right. So I talk to families a lot about, you know, short periods of time, like no more than 20 minutes, you know, that we're going to do this. And let yeah, let's not have 10 other things happening at the same time. Okay, that makes complete sense to me because it's so overwhelming when you hear something coming from this side. Uh, we, we call it, in, in my work, overstimulation or understimulation. So just having too much going on in a room, and that can be lights, it can be a TV on, somebody talking in the other room, the microwave going off, <laughs> all these kinds of things. Um, so I, I completely understand how that, how that would um, complicate the situation yes. completely. So can you give me some specific examples yeah. of, of times when you've had this work. Yep. I'd love to hear a few. Yes. So uh, I did some work years ago with a gentleman uh, who had dementia, and part of his dementia was apathy and depression, and it became really hard for him to get out of bed. Uh, I don't know if any of the listeners listening right now uh, – have heard of someone or, or maybe their own a family member is like this, but he, his wife was his caregiver and they were living at home and it was really causing some clashes because he didn't want to get up. He didn't want to shower, you know, was going long periods of time without showering and things. And she called me in because he had been a piano player and that was one of the few things he would still do. Um, and so he couldn't play the complexity of pieces that he was playing before, but we adapted some things, we simplified some things, so it was still within what he liked, but it was more doable for him. And I used some other techniques uh, to uh, work on the apathy and depression in terms of working with the wife for, you know, what how we're using music at home as well, because our preferred music, music that we really, 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 really like, uh, stimulates areas of the brain that have to do with reward. Ah, So in the same way, they've done studies and, you know, people will get chills with music, right? Right. It's a similar thing, but you can get a little bit less intense. But with music, he really improved his motivation. And so that was one way that we kept him going was uh, the sessions that we were doing, but also giving her things throughout the week that she would follow through with. And they started getting along much better. And you could tell, you know, he was showering a little more frequently and some things like that. So it was the time that we were together, but then what I was giving them in between and it just, everything went better. (laughs) That's awesome. Yeah. I love that. And then I was just going to say, we also had um, a woman that I I worked with uh, to your point about your mom. She was very much like your mom in the sense of, you know, wasn't talking a lot. But when you played her preferred music, then she would start filling in words. She would, you know, and then after we were done, then she would start talking more. (laughs) And um, it was just one of those things that, you know, nobody else, everyone said, oh, she doesn't talk. You know, the staff at the place where she, oh, she doesn't do this or that. And I was able to 
get in contact with their family and said, can you please join us? And then it opened up a whole new avenue for them and their relationship with her. Like, here's some things that you can do to get her talking. We get that nice cognitive lift. She's more aware. And again, it's a short window. You know, we're not talking about curing dementia, unfortunately. I wish it could, but it, we're talking about creating therapeutic windows of time where we can accomplish things and make things happen. Okay, so I want to throw one out to okay. you. <laughs> and I want to hear your thoughts on why this might have worked. Okay. So I had a client. Uh, I helped his wife move him into a memory unit. Very progressed in Alzheimer's. Okay. Uh, she thought he could no longer play the piano. And he was quite accomplished on the piano since you brought this up. And she had a music book that she brought with him, which objects always grow hands and legs and leave. Oh, yeah. Right? <laughs> yes. <laughs> but they had a grand piano in this particular community. Mm -hmm. And unfortunately, they would have other residents that would go over and just pound on it. So they backed it up against a wall oh. so no one could sit and use it. Mm -hmm. So when he moved in, I requested that they get it tuned move it back out. They used to have a piano player that would come in as a volunteer and play, yeah. but that person hadn't been there in several years. And so we let this person, and his name is Bob, um, I brought him in and said, Bob, I understand you play the piano, classical. And, and he just looked at me. He didn't speak. So I sat him down at the piano. Mm -hmm. And his wife said he's never played without, he reads music. He doesn't just hear it, right? Mm -hmm. But he sat down. He didn't know what to do. So I asked him if I could put his hands on the keys. Mm -hmm. So I, and he didn't know right from left. He didn't recognize his hands. Sure. So I was able to get behind him and just place his hands on the keys. And I asked everybody to just be quiet uh -huh. and give him a few minutes. Yep. And he started to play. Yep. Now, the, and I mean, not just a little bit, he played a concerto. Yeah. Okay. So, and he, muscle memory? I think muscle memory is a huge part of it. Yeah. I mean, how did a person who, who only plays by reading music, she said he never in his 70 years of life was able to just sit down and play something. He had used the music book sort of as a crutch. Right. But here he sits nonverbal, late-stage Alzheimer's, and he plays. Yep. And doesn't just play. He played like a concert. He played like five, six songs. Yeah. And people, all, all the people in the memory unit were clapping for him yeah. and cheering for him. Help me understand what yeah. happened there. Yeah, well, there's a lot of, so certainly there's elements of that, you know, that are sticking around in the music. I, th I think muscle memory is a part of that for sure. And then it also depends on the type of dementia some people uh, and what impairments they're experiencing. So some people struggle with reading music the same way that they struggle with reading words right? Um, during their dementia process. So I've had people that are music readers, but then the music starts to not really make as much sense. So who knows how much of that was happening? You know, the book was there. He was used to it being there. Was he actually reading that for a while? Or was it so ingrained in muscle memory that he really wasn't using the books that much to get the input? We don't know, right? Because we're not right. in his brain. But there's a lot. That's the thing is music sticks around in so many different ways.
It really does. It's absolutely phenomenal. We're going to take a short break, but we have a lot more to talk about, and we'll listen to a word from our sponsor. Living and working with Alzheimer's and other dementias can often be challenging. Summit Resilience Training provides education, utilizing non-medical approaches for those who work with our friends affected by dementia. Believing families still need one-on-one assistance, we provide classes which help them understand the diseases affecting their loved ones, offering strategies and techniques for success with activities of daily living and working with confusing behaviors. We offer in-home assessments to clarify symptoms of dementia diseases and help families work together to find moments of joy while living with memory loss and impairment. Education programs instilling person-centered care philosophies are offered for professional caregivers working in communities and homes, which can be customized for their staff. Training is also available for first responders, such as law enforcement, fire, and EMT personnel. We are passionate that people with dementias, such as Alzheimer's, Parkinson's, and others, are approached with compassion and understanding, and those who work with them have all the tools they need for success. Call us at Summit Resilience Training, 303-420-6988 to schedule a class or in-home assessment. Visit our website at summitresiliencetraining.com for more information. Welcome back to Dementia Resilience with Jill Lorenz. Okay, we're back, and I have Sarah Thompson with me in the studio today, and she is the CEO of Rehabilitative Rhythms, a Denver-based nonprofit organization that really explores clinically music therapy and how it can benefit people with various neurodegenerative diseases and just, in general, some really great therapy options mm-hmm. for people that, that need to have their brain re-stimulated. Is that a fair way to say that? Sure, so, sure. Yeah. So we were just talking about how the brain is processing music and how astounding it is when people who have been nonverbal can suddenly communicate uh, bring their language back to life, mm-hmm. um, maybe have some endorphins flowing so they're feeling happier. And this is your goal when you're working with folks who who need that extra stimulation. Yep. Our whole tagline for our organization is uh, possible with music because over and over in the last 16 years, uh, and I've been a clinician for 17 years, um, that you see that music makes things possible. People will say, oh, they don't do X, Y, and Z. Oh, they don't, you know, or you'll never be able to X, Y, and Z. And then they work with us. And it's because of that unique way that music is processed. And if you know how to use it right, you really can improve people's lives. Well, I love that you said in the earlier segment that you actually will play music You'll create music for someone. Mm -hmm. And I just think that's phenomenal. Uh, I'd love to explore more about that. But how is is music therapy in that form different than someone actually playing it like on an iPod or an Alexa or Google in their home? Right. So I like to think of this like I like to use a comparison with physical therapy and physical movement. So – we all like to go for walks, right? And it's it's gonna it's a gorgeous day in Denver today. It's a January, but it's you know upper 50s, really sunny. Great to go on a walk. You're gonna feel good, right? And and that's a lot like just plain old listening to music. It makes you feel good. 
It's good for you. Anybody can do it. Anybody can go for a walk. Now, if you're instead of going for a walk, if you're going to go see a physical therapist, they're going to give you specific exercises to do to work on your specific situation, right? You need to strengthen this muscle. You need to stretch that muscle. You need to work on this coordinating this movement. And that's very much like how we work with people, it's a, it's a skilled intervention where we're doing things live with music and using specific elements of music and the neuroscience of music and our standardized techniques to create results that are reproducible. So we know why we got this result and we're going to be able to do it over and over again, but we're doing music, using music in really specific ways to achieve an outcome. Can you give me an example of a standardized technique? Sure, there's a lot of them, but um, let's see. Well, I think when we were to, to build on our earlier examples of, of getting words out, using that speech stimulation uh, where, you know, you leave off the last word of a line, because you're mine, I'll walk the line. Right, exactly. Right, okay. Uh, so just having people fill in and it's, you know, that technique builds on familiarity and that you know the song. It also builds on chord structure and harmony, right? We know when the song is going to end. If I just left it at, because you're mine, I'll walk the, it feels unfinished. And that's right. because of the harmonic component. So there's certain ways that you want to choose when to leave those words off, right? It doesn't work as well with depending on uh, harmonies really like the chords that you play with a song. Mm -hmm. So there's certain times that it works and certain times uh, that it would be a lot harder for someone to fill in. But um, that's a really easy standard way to get someone talking. I, I think that's incredible because that seems so like it would be so easy just, just to understand. But this is something that you've actually tried. Uh, you, you measure Mm -hmm. You know, you're trying to measure the uh, successes here. Right. You're trying to to figure out how can we build on this and make it more comprehensive all the way around the brain. Right. But here's a question I have. Okay. So when you're working with a family member, mm -hmm. how do you help the family member utilize one of your techniques themselves because they might say to you I'm not a therapist you know I right. uh, and and I'm just going to give you a little bit of an example I work with caregivers care partners mm -hmm. they like to be called sometimes now and just being transparent sometimes we have some emotional instabilities that are running through the thread of their lives yep okay and so for them to take on some role that they're looking at you, you're an expert. Yeah. I'm not. Right. I'm already overwhelmed. Right. I can't do this. He doesn't even like me. We barely speak anymore. Right. I get these kinds of things all the time. Oh, yes. Right? <laughs> yes. So we don't always have that copacetic oh, yeah. love fest going on right. uh, with everyone. And so, but, and, and there are family members that just do. So they're the easy right. ones. Oh, right. Anything I can do, teach me, teach me, I'm a sponge. Right. But give me an idea of some tips that you could give to caregivers that they can use right now mm -hmm. in their home mm -hmm. that um, 
if they don't have your expertise, could mm -hmm. is that possible? Can you can you give them a couple tips that maybe something that they could do? Yeah, a couple tips. One is the tip about really watching how often you're using music because it is a true stimulation. It's not meant to always be a background sound that's on 24 hours a day. So really be thoughtful about how you're using it. That, that's an important point. And then another tip would be to really watch the reaction versus your expectations. So you think, Ooh, I love that. He grew up with this, you know, well, you might not know this, but maybe it's also stimulating a memory associated because musical memory is very robust, right? So yes, he grew up with it, but maybe it also reminds him of some bad thing at that time that happened. So if you're playing that music, well, I know he likes it, but he's not responding the way that you think. The reaction is more important than what your expectation is. So that's really important. Um, we have just started a program where we design things for families and they can, we basically hand it to them and they can do it on their own. Okay. And we customize the music for them. It's this program has different uh, uses. It can be used in a facility and in a little bit different way, but the individual version of the program uh, would be appropriate for caregivers. And this program is called A Lifetime with Music. Okay. So we, you know, do a consultation with people and then we give them the materials that they can use each month. We give them suggestions, use this music for this, this for this. So they do it I on their own. I love that. Yes. And then, of course, I'm starting work on my dissertation for my PhD and, and continuing my work in research. And what we're really trying to do right now is engage uh, caregivers and finding out and giving us some consultation on a training program that we're developing to train caregivers how to use music specifically to address behaviors that are occurring at home. The current program that we have doesn't specifically address behaviors, but we're really looking at how can we, you know, make things go smoother at home and improve quality of life, reduce uh, the sense of burden that caregivers have, because music is also a huge source of joy. That's right. why we love it. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so we want to keep that as much as we can. So that's another thing that we're doing on, on the research side of things. But we do have that consultative program where, you know, people can work with us if they feel like I can do this on my own. We'll give you the stuff and you can do it on your own. Now we also, to your point, have families that it's too much for them to do it on their own. And so we do work with people individually over Zoom or in person as well. Okay. So you had touched on something just a second ago and I want to kind of come back to it a little bit. So I am telling my listeners and my clients often that it is not always the result that they should be looking at. Mm. Uh, it's the participation. Yep. It's what happened on the journey. Not from A to not A, point A and point Z, but what happened along the journey. Did they participate for two minutes or ten minutes? Yep. Even if they couldn't sing the whole song or they became distracted or or something happened where their short-term memory made them turn away and go do something else right. and try to get them to come back and, and participate again, they might do it, you know, those kinds of things. So sometimes it's not so much about the person themselves with the diagnosis. It's more about um, teaching the, the family member the benefits to just that having that person participate 
with it right. um, and not always expecting perfection. Right. I tell, I, I, and I can say this to my listeners and, and uh, my, my folks I work with, that sometimes they just expect perfection. They want, right. they want everything to be exact. It has to be good. And why? Right. We often have confabulations where somebody will live vicariously through someone else and say that they were at a place in time and in a scenario that they were not in. Right. And families get upset about things like that. And I say, why? Let it go. Yeah. Why do you always need to be right? right? So I wonder, you know, how... How do you get families past that if you have yes. that problem sometimes oh, yes. of saying, listen, it's not – it doesn't have to – let go of perfection. Some people can't do that. Uh, but if they can, in, inevitably the results would be what they kind of want anyway, right? right? Just yeah. get they, – sometimes they have to get out of their own way. Does that oh, make sense? <laughs> and especially, you know, with music, you know, unfortunately so many of us have stories of – well, my choir teacher, you know, told me to just move my lips and not sing or, you know, you know, <laughs> you hear these stories or, you know, the piano teacher used to smack me over the knuckles when I played a wrong note. You know, people have sometimes right. a negative memory because they, there was someone in their past that was focused on the product and the perfection. But with music therapy, it's the process that's most important. It's the fact that we're using these musical elements to achieve this outcome, and the outcome is we're not going for, you know, a CD-ready musical version, right? Right. We are going for, you know, did they vocalize for the first time in three months? Did they, you know, say three words where that's more than they've said? You know, did they actually move their arms where we haven't seen them do that before? Were they able to have a positive interaction with their spouse where that hasn't been happening? That's really what we're looking at. And so... That it's also helpful when we do things live with music. It's a little bit easier to engage people when we can be together. I know we're in the middle of COVID, but with masks and things, when you can be with people and making music, people are more likely to jump in than if you, you know, if you put on a recording and you're like, okay, now sing to that, and we're all just gonna stare at you. <laughs> you know, it feels like ah. But if you're there with the person and it's, you know, you're kind of giving this real gentle stimulus that you're having them fill in little things or leave pauses for them, they feel a little bit more comfortable. So we, that tends to be the case. You know, I, I use that word, those uh, types of phrases, because as you know, everyone's different. Right. Uh, but we try to encourage, it is about participation. It is about the process. And, and it's the quality that you're getting. Absolutely. And simply put, you have an act that you hope causes a reaction. Right. You right. know, that's really what you're looking for. Yep. And let that be enough. Yeah. Let that be enough mm -hmm. because it might build on itself to something else. Exactly. And the other thing that we often bring up to people as comparison, well, what would this have been without music? Right. Would, you know, that's a lot of times our comparison is, okay, they haven't spoken in three months. So if we get words out and... Clearly, that's from the music that we use to stimulate that right. if we're using those specific techniques. Um, so, you know, what would it have been without music? 
and what what is it with music and it's just we're looking for improvement we're not you know it's wonderful if they can play an entire sonata you know or things like that but if we need to play something that's only two pages long and more simple but they're loving it and the spouse is loving it who cares if it's more simple we don't care right well you know it's interesting on the break we talked for just a moment about the fact that my husband and I made a Christmas CD. Yes, it's awesome. So I'm going to tell you a little story about this. So my mom loved for me to sing to her. So I played in bands for 25 years and, you know, rock band, jazz band, country band. I've, you know, <laughs> done a lot of that. Uh, played weddings, all kinds of things. And um, so my mom loved Christmas music. And I would get a call sometimes uh, to to calm her down, and she would want me to sing to her. She was a Karen Carpenter fan. Oh, yeah. And so I would sing Rainy Days and Mondays in the middle of a business meeting. You know, I mean, it was just—that actually happened one time. So I decided to make her a Christmas CD. Mm. And so she listened to that Christmas CD and her community would play it for her in 99 degree heat in July in Illinois, you know, and I thought they must hate me. But, you know, she loved it. And so it really um, it just warmed my heart. The fact that just hearing my voice could calm her down. Now, I have to tell you, anytime I have a guest on the show. I go through your website and I look at information about you and and books and things like that. And oftentimes I can find, you know, videos and, and things that I think are really interesting. But what struck me about your website was your values. And you could have just listed them as bullet points, but you decided to put a whole narrative and paragraph around each one of them. And I love that. It's one thing to say, I value good service. I value, you know, kindness and responsiveness and all of that. But you really put a lot of thought into this. Mm -hmm. So I'd like to take a minute and go through some of these. Sure. Because obviously the music is the music. The, the action and the reaction, the results of mm -hmm. your therapies and your clinical studies and the um, actual techniques that you are using are proof in the pudding. Mm -hmm. But tell me what these mean to you and why they became values to you, okay? So access and sustainability. Oh. That was a really good yeah. one. Uh, you want access to people and you want this to work, right. not just... For today, right? Um, you know, Dr. Potter's got his new leukine study and the pill that he has, and he has to make it sustainable for not just six months, but on and on. Right. Same kind of thing. Yeah. Why did that mean so much to you that you put it as one of your values? Well, I've been an advocate for getting reimbursement for music therapy since I entered the career. Um, and music therapy is not currently reimbursed at the same rate that other therapies are, right? So Medicare does not cover music therapy treatment. Uh, and there's just so much advocacy that I've done in uh, getting it paid by uh, insurance companies. It's now able to be reimbursed by work comp and, you know, you can use your FSA, HSA and things like that. But it's that's why we became a nonprofit. We were a small business for 15 years, and it took two years of really hard work, and we became a 501c3 nonprofit for the simple fact that we want to get this to more people. So access is so important. And then 
finding ways to sustain their engagement um, to where it's not a financial burden for people. So we have like our aphasia corral is, you know, that's more affordable than obviously doing individual sessions. And depending on where people are and what diagnosis they have, they need different things in different seasons of their life. So we want them to have access in all those seasons, but they probably just need different things. So we're, we work really hard to try and find ways that people can get access. Well, speaking of that, that's a perfect segue to how do they get a hold of you? And we'll do this again at the end of the show. Okay. But give your information about your website. Yep. Our website is uh, possiblewithmusic.org, P-O-S-S-I-B-L-E-W-I-T-H-M-U-S-I-C.org. Okay, yep. Possible With Music. That's the best place. You know, we're on all social media as well, but our website has the most information. Do you, char- you charge the families for these services? Correct. Okay. Um, so I could ask you uh, about those charges, but I think it's better if they just go on your website and kind of uh, figure out what they need, and then you could explain further. Yep. So with that, as a nonprofit, you take donations. Absolutely. Can so, they make donations on absolutely. your website? Absolutely. So we have a donate button in the top right corner. Thank you, Jill. <laughs> I still have not totally adapted to being a nonprofit, as you can <laughs> right. tell. I was not plugging our, us well enough. but That's uh, all right. I will because I love what you're doing. <laughs> um, so we are taking donations, yes, at the top right quarter. Um, and then, yeah, we have a therapist that one of our therapists does all our intakes because we think it's so important for people to talk to someone who can really understand their issues when they call. Um, and our phone number and everything is on our website, too. Okay, beautiful. Do you have an 800 number? No. That's all right. Uh, just as long as they know possiblewithmusic.org is where yep. they will find you. Yep. And people, please support this. Support this. Support this. I have thousands of listeners in the Denver metropolitan area. And if you are interested in this, I want you to get on this website. I will list this on the website and put their phone number when I post this show. Um, so please go on and look at the information and I'll put more information about it. Let's go on. Uh, listening. What a simple value, but listening. I never see that on somebody's values. Yeah, it's so important. Love it. Well, you know, the folks that we work with, the families or who whoever's spending the most time with them, they know these folks so well. Right. And we come in to do our assessment, and we're going to see them for two hours, right, and do our thing. But there's, I mean, how much can you, can you tell your whole life story in two hours? No, <laughs> you know. So there's so important that we work in partnership with families and really listen to what they're saying and what they're seeing. Okay. I love that. And here's another one. Authenticity. I, I've never seen values listed out this way. This oh. is why I wanted to expand <laughs> on it. What does that mean to you? Authenticity, we wanted to put in there because we feel that every person that we work with has a lot of strengths. And sometimes the medical models tend to focus on all the weaknesses, right? Right. And none of us would feel good if all that we heard all the time was all the things that are wrong. So we know these. We know that we all have things we're working on. We all, you know, are trying to improve. And it's no different for the people we're providing services to. But we also try and honor the things that are important to them, the strengths that they have, and really who they are as a person. So I love that. So how I translate that is I tell my folks all the time, 
they often can only see, families can only see what the person has lost. Right. And I'm asking them to change that paradigm and look at it from what they can still do. Yep. Does that kind of fit in with what Absolutely. you were just... Absolutely. So that's where it tends to work well to use music because it's sticking around. And so it's right. sort of viewed as a strength. Oh, sure, they can't tie their shoes anymore, but they could sing this song. You know, do we need to focus? Do they really, do we need to really focus on tying shoes when there's Velcro shoes? Is that really important? Or <laughs> right. should we spend, should we spend our time, you know, in community and love together, you know, or improving quality of life here with music? You know, that's what we try and Try and keep in mind always. Okay. Now, one of them, again, that I really loved was relationships and community. I get relationships. Where does community come in on this? Well, we are always striving to be a member of the communities that we serve and on the provider level and on the family level as well. Um, so we want to be working with under other individuals in the community because sometimes it can develop into a bit of silos, right, where everyone's doing their own thing and no one's talking to each other. And so we really try and, and foster um, that sense of community. One thing that we've done along those lines is we started the Denver Neuro Rehab Network for anyone who's working with folks with neurologic differences. We have folks that work on neurodegenerative um, as well as neurologic injuries. So, you know, we have folks that do a lot of MS and, and Parkinson's and dementia work as well as people, you know, who work on stroke and TBI where it's more of a rehab focus. But we're really trying to reach out and, and talk to other providers. Okay. That makes perfect sense. And sometimes I wonder why people haven't done this before. Right. Why, you know, I, I really didn't even realize until you called me that there was a, a concerted effort to go down this line. Oh, yeah. I just uh, innately understand how important music is. Yeah. And I've seen it over and over and over again, mm -hmm. work in communities or just people that love mm -hmm. music. And I also watch how it affects me in my life because mm -hmm. I'm hypersensitive to it and enlightened by it, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. But I don't think people really understand that this is available to them. Right. So I'm going to put you on the spot here for a second. Okay. Uh, when we get out of this COVID land... I generally teach my classes at Dr. Samantha Holden and Company's uh, offices in Stapleton. Yes. So I was teaching them in the AF uh, Williams room. Yep. I don't know if this is something you'd be open to, but um, I had 140 people take my classes through uh, University of Colorado Hospital in 2020. Wow. So I have a pretty significant amount uh, just through Zoom. I end up with about 38 to 45 people each month. Mm -hmm. And so I would love at some point if maybe I could have you on one of my classes. It is a continuum class. And it might open the door for them to know that this is a therapy that they could utilize that is um, approved and, and through University of Colorado yeah, Hospital, right. and that you're working with Samantha Holden, who right. helps, who sponsors the classes that I teach, right. because I would love to introduce this to families. Okay, mm -hmm. I don't know what the cost is. Is it affordable? It's yeah, it's decently affordable, and plus, with all the range of options that we have, we always find a way. Yeah, yeah, 
perfect. So it doesn't have to be free or anything like that. People don't mind paying a little bit. Right. Uh, but I certainly want to talk about things like this more than I want to talk about supplements in a book solving Alzheimer's and so on and right. so forth. When we are actually working through these um, these scenarios and, and utilizing a program yeah. that uh, is founded in science— I'm always a I'm always a a, a big proponent of that. Yes. So I would love it if maybe we could plan one of my classes. Uh, every other month, I have a class where I dig deep into what we're doing in the homes. Mm-hmm. You know, from ADLs to legal and financial to everything else. But I'm changing them up a little bit at this year. Would you be maybe willing to be on a class with I me like that? I would love to. So I, I would can love introduce to. you to my yes. folks and yes. see if they would like to participate with you, and we I can maybe build your would. program up a yes. little bit. That would be fantastic. And it's, you know, I think, Jill, you're like a lot of people. They don't know it's available. And we're trying to get some more education out there. You know, I think it was about a year and a half ago, the National Institutes of Health gave out $20 million to music therapy and neuroscience research because it's so promising. And they're still opening more and more calls for research. And we're hoping to go for some of those in, in, in the research work that we do. But There's just, it's going to be something that people are going to hear more and more about. Well, I have loved having you on the show. I would love to have you back again. Yes. And let's work on maybe getting something together that we could collaborate on with my listeners and with my uh, clients here in in town. So, folks, uh, look look up this business, your website one more time. It's possiblewithmusic.org, and our phone number is 303-481-8134. Thank you so much, Sarah Thompson. Thank you. you have been awesome today. And Thank you. And you are speaking my language with music. <laughs> <laughs> All right, listeners, we'll see you next week on Dementia Resilience with Jill Lorenz. You've been listening to Dementia Resilience with Jill Lorenz. To learn more about her resources, services, classes, or to book speaking engagements, visit Jill's website at summitresiliencetraining.com. A new podcast drops every Tuesday, so join us as we learn more about dementias, resilience, and overcoming obstacles to find a positive outcome. Dementia Resilience with Jill Lorenz can be found on your favorite podcast provider. Please subscribe and give us a five-star rating. Musical and technical support provided by Brian Hunter. See you next week.